genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today, we are continuing our mini-series on the X-Men franchise with the rubber reality YA supernatural horror thriller 2018-2020's The New Mutants. We'll explain later. Uh, we do not have a guest this week, so there is no one joining us to talk about demon bears, dragon puppets, and non-existent reshoots. It's just us. Rubber Reality is my favorite Flaming Lips album. <laughs> that is how director Josh Boone described the genre of this of this film as like a rubber reality film, which I assume is like kind of like the dreamlike qualities to it. I, well, first thing that brings to my mind is, and I don't even remember if this made the final movie, but the the scare when I think Danny was like hiding and hands were coming through the walls and it was stretching the walls. Yeah. Which is like that, straight out of Wes Craven. Faux show. Sure. Yeah. A lot of this is. I can't remember yeah. if that was in the movie or not. I don't remember. I literally just watched it and I don't remember. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I would have remembered. Yeah. I think they cut it for some reason. Yeah. Okay. Well. We'll talk about it. Yeah, we're about to. Oh, boy. The New Mutants is interesting. So, so we're, we're calling it 2018 to 2020 because, as we'll get into, it is the version of the movie that would have been released if it had been released in its original release date right, of 2018. Yeah. So, l- like, l- l- yeah, listeners may notice we're going a bit out of order from reality this episode. Right, right. This was supposed to be released, I believe, April 2018. Originally, so before Deadpool two, so before Deadpool two, I wasn't comfortable putting it in that slot. <laughs> that felt way weird. But it was supposed to come out before Deadpool two because it was supposed to basically be like that kind of like back to back of Deadpool, Logan, New Mutants. These three films were developed together as this sort of like okay, we're going to try and play with the X Men franchise because we're about to wrap up the actual like x-men proper the 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 mothership franchise and so let's try and figure out new ways to tackle this right so we did og x-men brian singer's x-men and that timeline we did the the flashback timeline we did the prequel timeline um and then we crossed over the two now we got to figure out what we're going to do after that and so they do they want to play with the genres they want to play with all these things and Fox was really excited about this at the time when they were starting to develop this. Uh, the New Mutants, in, in particular, was something that Laura Schumer Donner had wanted to to play around with. Thought it was like the key, the ticket to continuing the X Men franchise since two thousand nine. Later, like they ended up doing First Class and everything, and so that 
prolonged the need for New Mutants, but it was always sort of gnawing at the back of her head that the New Mutants is, is that's the ticket. And so that's why it was list. It was going to be the third thing, part of this sort of trilogy of like getting weird trying. Yeah. Trying new, getting weird with it. Totally. Trying new things with the franchise. And so Deadpool, huge success. Logan, huge success with Deadpool. It was a self-aware comedy with Logan. It was an adult driven drama. And with this, it was going to be a sort of prestige horror film. That was the idea of it. That's what Josh Boone came in to pitch. And so what happened was basically he had done the faults in our stars for Fox massive hit, right? And knocked it out of the park. I mean, the critical hit as well. Yeah. Critical hit. It's like an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. There's always going to be like 20% of critics who are going to be like, fuck YA, you know? <laughs> I haven't seen it since theaters, but I remember it totally getting me in the summer of 2014. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and me too. I had a great time with it. I think it's a really good adaptation of that book. You know, it's not without its faults. Uh, but, but I think, yeah, but I think, but I think those faults were probably present in the book as well. So, uh, a pretty good adaptation. So anyway, so they were really hot on this guy, Josh Boone. And they were like, Josh, what do you want to do? And he presents them a comic and the comic is a PDF of a bunch of new mutants, Bill Sikenowitz stuff. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I apologize, Jason. He's probably cringing somewhere, but <laughs> you didn't pin your uh, pronunciations to the top of your Twitter. He had a whole Twitter thread. If you go follow uh, Jason Halftones, previous guest Jason Hammonds on Twitter, he had like a whole thread where he was like describing how to pronounce comic people's names. That you only ever see in print and you never yeah. say out loud. Right, right, right. But I, I think he used to have it pinned, I think, but he doesn't have it pinned anymore. So I, I couldn't easily look it up. I, uh, I once butchered Kelly Sue DeConnick. Oh, name in front of Jason when we were after we saw Captain Marvel together. Uh huh. And I was like, ah, it was like a real cringe. Like <laughs> he, he was like, this is this is Kelly Sue DeConnick, and I was like, oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he put he took a bunch of panels from that New Mutants run, sort of just like spliced them all together. He calls it a comic. It feels to me like he really just made like a mood board in the form of a comic book. But pitched it, pitched the movie like, this is what I want to do. I want to take this comic, this vibe, and I want to do New Mutants. And he got a greenlit. And they decided to develop it, develop it as the third part of this sort of like getting weird with it trilogy. And it's uh, not an unsound investment. Horror for the past 10 years has been a pretty reliable genre at the box office, yeah. no matter the budget, no matter yeah. the critical reaction. Absolutely. Yeah, you would absolutely think that that's true. <laughs> and uh, and so, so yeah, so the way he pitched it actually was as a film trilogy and he walked through which each movie would be, what their vibe would be. I'll get to those later. But it was all going to start with a, a film that took place in what is essentially a mental hospital with the New Mutants characters dealing with an adaptation of the Demon Bear storyline from the New Mutants comics. It was the first story in a comic book that he fell in love with, and it sort of had, he pictured it as, like, The Breakfast Club meets Stephen King with, like, definitely odes to, like, Dream Warriors and The Shining and, you know, all of these things. So, I guess that's Stephen King, but you get what I mean. 
All of these things all added up to something that they all really, really wanted to be a part of and wanted to make. And so the first, he, the, he writes the first draft with his creative partner and childhood best friend, Nately. They're like childhood best friends who like grew up reading this stuff and loving this New Mutants run. And so originally, the first version of the script was going to take place three years after X-Men Apocalypse. So in 86. And the main character was going to be Storm who was, because of the issues that she has in X-Men Apocalypse, in terms of, like, you know, getting, getting suckered brain scrambled. into... Yeah, getting her brain scrambled, getting suckered in, getting brainwashed by Apocalypse and the whole thing, her powers were going to be out of control. And so Charles, set, like, basically is like, I have started a sort of sister site for... Mutants whose powers are a danger to themselves and others. And you're going to go there. You're going to learn how to control your powers. And then you're more than welcome to come back. But like, you're fucking shit up too much, Storm. You got to go. You're right? a dan- you, you would be a danger to the other students at the school right now. Exactly. Exactly. Why he never sends Jean Grey there is never explained. I but- think we know why. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so she's there with the other characters from this movie. Xavier is in this movie. Storm is in this movie. So that's the first version of this script that that gets made. It's still an adaptation of the Demon Bear storyline. It takes place in the 80s. Storm is the lead protagonist. There is a lot of rumors and hearsay on online that say that Storm is like a an abusive prison warden in the film um in this version of the script which doesn't really play with what i just told you um and so yeah so my feeling is that she is at some point and she's getting brainwashed again by one of the other new mutants or maybe the person who's running the asylum or something like that is is my guess and then, it sounds like she would be a patient in this right. scenario. Yes, exactly. And then like sort of snaps out of it, you know, later, like in the third act or something. Like God. maybe she's set up and it's almost like she's going to be the villain, and then you find out that there's a villain behind the villain. And right. she's actually well, we we, we see in we see in the movie characters are revealed to just be projections of, you know, oh, that wasn't really Anya Taylor Joy, you know. Oh, right. True. Very true. So this is the initial version of this movie. It is Deeply a horror movie, definitely chasing an R rating in terms of like what it's attempting to do. And during this time, Fox executives changed. The studio changed hands. He turns in the script to a studio who was not asking for it at that point. And they were like, what is this? Why would we make an X-Men movie that's rated R? That's a horror movie. Like, this doesn't make any sense. No, we're not going to do this. Instead, what you should do is make this more like The Fault in Our Stars, because that was a hit, and we want to repeat that. Somebody wrote getting weird with it on the chalkboard, and we don't know who did this, but we yeah, wiped it off. But it wasn't us. <laughs> so they're like, we, we want it cheap. We want it YA. So take Storm out of it, because we don't want it set in the 80s. Take Xavier out of it, because we don't want it set in the 80s. And also, James McAvoy would be too expensive. And replace them with something else, with another character. So that's how Danny becomes the new protagonist of the film. And how we, we end up with the, uh, the doctor lady, Cecilia Reyes. So that's where we go. So now, now it's sort of like aiming to just be 
a sort of YA movie. And then this is the one that they write. It is then rewritten by Scott Neustadter and Michael H. Weber, who worked on Fault in Our Stars. So they get fired from their own movie mm-hmm. as the writers of their own movie that, they are, that he's directing and uh, replaced by the writers of the Fault in Our Stars. Because they're like, well, that, that was the script was what made that movie work. Not You didn't have anything to do with that. So we're going to hire them, and they're going to rewrite it. So they rewrote it. And then after that, um, which is really interesting because they're not credited on this movie. I, was I don't about know if to you say, noticed. Yeah. yeah, they're not credited on this movie. But they came in, and then after they came in, a writer's room was put together to really, like... Really fuck it up. Really tear apart the script and put it back together again. And in that room was Scott Frank, Chad and Carrie Hayes, and Seth Graham Smith, who, you know, Hollywood was super hot on Seth Graham Smith for a while. I don't know. I don't know what that amounted to, but... Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, Scott. Yeah, apparently. So anyway, all these these people came in and, uh, and tore the script apart, put it back together again. Like the and, Yes. And then we ended up with a script that ends up going into production at the same time that he that he is casting it. And here's where we start to get into some problems. So first off, let's start with the the the, the uh, lowercase problem, the lowercase P problem, which is uh, Cecilia Reyes who is a Puerto Rican character and not just a Puerto Rican character, but a Puerto Rican character who is portrayed as having dreads in the comics, which suggests a, a much darker complected yeah. Puerto Afro-Latino, Rican. Afro-Latino, Afro-Latinx. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and the first person that, they, that he casts is Rosario Dawson in this role. She is 100% cast and is going to play this role, which okay. in retrospect, watching the movie, I can't picture Rosario Dawson playing that role at all. She feels too mean. To be Rosario it, Dawson? It'd be cool because it's like outside of... Yeah. Like she's, she's never played a character, so it would be cool to be like, oh, cool, here's a different... But you're right. It is difficult to like picture the way like Alice Braga has this great like presence. Yeah. I think, I think she's played a villain in other movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, but please, so, yeah. so, yeah. So she, he casts Rosario Dawson. She ends up leaving the movie kind of at the last minute. And then they, they bring in, uh, as you said, uh, Alice, Alice Braga, Braga, who is Brazilian. Okay. So not Puerto Rican and certainly not dark complected. And so begins the beginning of Josh. I don't see race Boone. Oh, right. I forgot about this. Yeah. In yeah, which yeah. he casts everyone who is black as white as possible and he says he claims that it's because they were the better character they were the better actor for the character the best actors in the room yeah the best actors in the room and i say why did you have them in the room to begin with yeah you know it's uh i mean it's it's a conversation that comes up again and again it came up this previous summer within the heights a movie i greatly enjoyed about we have all these opportunities It, it, it you know in the like you said there's visual Decades of visual receipts, if you will, yes. I guess, of this character being dark skinned. Yes. And it's like somehow oopsie poopsies, the best actor in the room is this, you know, light skinned. And, you know, as as a, like a light skinned Latino myself. Yeah. Like, you know, of like what what is the imagination of these directors mm-hmm. and are they capable of stepping outside of their own mm-hmm. reference points and comfort zones mm-hmm. and see different kinds of 
people, different looking people and different, you know. Yeah. Cause because the other problem is like, and I know I know the part of the problem, right? He he was uh playing a character on Teen Wolf. Josh Boone? No. Henry Zaga. Okay, my bad. Who bad. who 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 was cast as Roberto Sunspot. Got it. Uh so he had an agent. Right. So he says like, oh, you know, we we did a worldwide search for this character for the best actor. And it's like, no, you fucking did not You asked a bunch of agencies if they had any Brazilian actors. You probably got three options and between the three. You picked him because he was the best actor in the room between the three. So like. Right. A, a fuck off, Josh Boone. You did not do the work like we all know you did not do the work. Because if you had, you would, you definitely wouldn't have cast somebody who happened to have an agent. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. No. It, it it's it's all of these. It's like you said. Like, what is the room? Right. And who who set the room? Who set the table? Right. Let let like and why why is that set up the way that it is to where you have so many actors that are never even invited to read for right. Sunspot? Right. Because, like, you know, casting directors or, or directors are like, for some reason, quote, right. I just can't picture this actor in that role. Just, just any, any kind of, like, bias of, like, you know, a lighter skinned person. Just And this is, like, I don't consider myself above any of this. I think it's all ingrained. We all yeah. grew up in this society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you know, certain people are more predisposed to look vulnerable or appear, sim- quote, sympathetic. Right. And how many, you know, studio notes have been like, for some reason, I just don't find this young, dark skinned actor to be, quote, sympathetic enough or vulnerable enough or likable enough to play this character. Yeah. Which is crazy because Sunspot's not even supposed to be particularly likable in this movie. He's a he's a he's a brat. Yeah. He's like a rich. And again, you know, like, for, oh, for some reason, why I, I can't picture someone dark skinned being like, you know. Because like we have we create these invisible yeah Scott Stapping is right. <laughs> <laughs> you of like yeah we 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 are learned things in the society of like not expecting certain people to look the way that they are in terms of like their attributes or their personality yeah yeah a dark skinned person can't be rich right yeah, yeah 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 and and that's the other part of this that really bothers me is like he's supposed to be the part of the the son of the richest family in Brazil. Why doesn't he have an accent? Oh yeah, yeah. That's a, that's another whole other thing. Yeah, it's like you know, we nine times out of ten, a character with an accent is like a villain. Yeah, yeah, um, or like a comedic side character. Right, right. So it's it is infuriating. It it, it really is infuriating. And you know, and that's not to say that Henry Zaga doesn't do a good job. Like I think he plays yeah, the role yeah. well. This isn't anything it, against Henry Saga. It's just that like the dude shouldn't have been invited in the room in the first place. You know, right? Yeah. yeah. An an actor is given the role that they have, right? And you know, it's in it's part of just like it's ingrained. Like you know, just do the gig and get it done, and you know, play the part honorably, right? But yeah, there's all this stuff beyond his control of again, like, yeah, like setting the table and inviting, deciding who's invited to the room. Right, exactly. And it's crazy because he went out of his way to find a, a new actress to play the Native American character. Yeah, Blue Hunt uh, of 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 Danny Danny Moonstar went out of his way to like try and find somebody for this, but then casts <laughs> Henry Zaga and then. This was supposed to be the first part of a trilogy of films, right? And so the right, first right. New Mutants movie was going to be what we what we have here, basically. Um, it was going to be a little bit bigger than this, than what we ended up with, because it was going to have a little bit bigger of a budget originally. But this is basically what it was. It's a supernatural thriller, closed door supernatural thriller kind of 
thing. Rubber reality, as he calls it. The second film was going to introduce Warlock. It was going to be set in Brazil. It was going to be an alien invasion body horror film about this this species of alien who uh, basically turns people into like like biotechnology things. So they're basically like Cybermen, essentially, uh, for the nice. for the Whovians out there. Cybermen or Borg. Only I don't think they're all like synced up like the Borg are. Or the are the Cybermen synced up like that? I guess they are. I, I, I don't think they're like a single consciousness like those like two. A hive mind. Yeah, they're not a hive mind. I don't believe. Maybe they are. I haven't read that storyline, but I don't think they are. Man. That sounds really cool. I know. So it was going to be set in Brazil and it was going to be another sort of like low key thing that was going to be set at the compound where Sunspot's family is from. And mm. they had cast his father because his father was going to be in the post credit scene of this movie. And his father mm. was going to be played by Antonio Banderas. Now, fucking love Again. the idea of Antonio Banderas yeah. in, a, in an X-Men movie. But Antonio Banderas, not Brazilian. So sure. what the fuck? Like what? Like you, you were like, well, we we have to cast a Brazilian actor as Sunspot, but his dad doesn't matter. We'll 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 cast a what is Antonio Banderas Mexican? No, he's Spanish. Spanish. So like even further away from Brazil, like it's it's that's crazy to me. Like that is that is really really nuts. I don't. Well, know. sure. I mean, and it's also something that you know we didn't bring up with you know da- uh, in logan daphne keen is also spanish and it's something that happens right. a lot where it's like oh well they speak spanish but they have this these very sharp you know white high cheekbones yeah like like complexion yeah and yeah like it, it, um yeah i mean like I, I fucking love desperado but and you know uh you know we say with love that salma hayek and antonio banderas are honorary mexicans for being in desperado but yeah they're both uh totally spanish wow okay well so there you go so that was so so again, it was like it, it it was just like he was doing the most half-assed version of this ethnically correct casting. It was just like the bare minimum, whatever gets the job done, it seems like, which is like really, really unfortunate and, and is overall a huge problem. He had talked to Sasha Barra Cohen about playing motion capture as Warlock, who is one of a, a member of that alien race who doesn't want to like feed off of people because he has like compassion and I stuff. I don't want to feed off people. Yeah, yeah. You would have said. <laughs> and then the third film was going to be based on a storyline called Inferno, which was basically going to culminate with a portal to hell opening up and oh, yeah. and uh and magic being involved um with that portal to hell and capital M magic. Yeah, capital M. Well, ma- what's her? What's her? What's her? What's her? Is it Al- Alanya? Alanya? Uh, uh, Alanya Rasputin? Yeah, got it. Okay. Colossus's sister. She's my sister. Colossus, who was also going to be featured in the sequels to this, oh, okay. to these, to these films, and uh, and again, that was going to be very like small as well like smaller than it sounds like it would be it would be like a little more like focused thing but like it was an like invasion of the body snatchers right totally totally and it was going to be like the, the the third film was going to be set in new york and was going to be like a demonic invasion essentially uh that also sounds cool yeah yeah sounds cool as hell kind of like uh like an exorcism kind of uh story uh, exorcism, yeah. Rosemary's Baby, kind of like vibe. Constantine. Yeah, yeah, really cool ideas for these sequels that I would have loved to have seen, but I would have wanted a scene uncompromised. I think this movie reminds me a lot of David Ayer's Suicide Squad hmm. because of like 
you watch it and you're like, well, I mean, it's pretty obvious this isn't his movie, um, you know, and that kind of that's kind of what this feels like to me. I mean, I think it's a version of one of the movies that he was asked to make, but it's not the final version. So, yeah, you know, it, it's like it doesn't sound like there was a lot of Rogue One type butchering or shenanigans once cameras started rolling. It sounds like all of the compromises happened in the pre-production writing process. Yeah. So so they start shooting this movie. They make oh, the whole yeah. thing. He puts together a cut of the movie and they do a test screening. And the test screening gets the same scores as the original Deadpool. Pretty high. People love it. But then the studio, and that's the YA version that he was asked to make, right? Okay. So he makes this YA version. Everybody loves it in the test screenings. And then Lockheed, Lockheed, Lockheed. Uh, I don't know if Lockheed was in this version yet. No, um, okay. That's the first thing we have to put in. They started chanting Lockheed. Find out who that is. Yeah. So, so then a little movie comes out that kind of ruins everything and yeah. sends us down this, uh, this, this primrose path of chaos that ends with this movie finally coming out in the middle of a pandemic. And that is a little movie called It Chapter One. Yeah. So It Chapter One comes out. Big hit. It's rated R. It's a huge hit. It's a horror movie. It's three hours long. It's about young adults. And Fox gets it in their head. That's what this movie should be. So they cut a trailer that makes it look like that's what this movie is. And everyone goes apeshit for the trailer. And Josh Boone is like, well, that's the original version that I wanted to make. Like, that's what I wanted to do. And they're like, great. Let's reshoot the whole movie. So he was always going to go back and do like a couple of weeks of pickups. That's normal. Every movie does that because you don't know what you have necessarily until you get into the edit room and figure it out. And and so he was always planning on doing reshoots. But the two weeks of reshoots turn into what was going to be three months of reshoots in which they were going to reshoot a minimum of 40 percent of the movie that was going to include reshoots of what they've already done to add more horror and more suspense and also brand new material that wasn't in the movie originally. So the cut that he had, it was like barely an hour and a half and they wanted to maybe like add like 15 minutes of like extra material to like beef up the sort of like horror and really like get the R rating and all of that stuff. So Mm -hmm. that's the plan. And then as soon as that's the plan and they push the movie back, Disney steps in to acquire Fox. Right. This process takes two years to complete. And during this time, as Disney is like, you know, coming in and elbowing around in projects, they watch New Mutants and they're like, this movie sucks. We don't if we release this, we're just going to release it on like Hulu or Disney Plus, which is where all those rumors came from. And he was like, but I was supposed to do the reshoots. And then they realized that they couldn't do reshoots anymore because all of the actors are too old to play the versions of themselves that are in the movie. And you would have like a like a Josh Trank fan four stick on your hands. Welcome to Wigtown. Yes. And so they were like, well, we don't want to do that because that movie did extensive reshoots and then was a flop. It just became this thing where they kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And then eventually... Josh Boone was like, look, you guys can't just release this on Disney Plus. It's in the contracts. It's in everybody's contracts. This is coming out to theaters. And so they're like, great, we'll put it out right now. And he's like, but we're in the middle of a pandemic. And they're like, we sure are. We just want to dump this thing. And so they release it in theaters around the country, um, mostly in drive-ins. That's where you and I saw it. 
um, yes. was at a drive-in during the pandemic. And um, it didn't do well. And people didn't really like it very much. And it's because not only was it not his original intention for the movie, which was a horror film that he was going to go back and get to reshoot because of it, chapter one. But it was also, it was going to have a post-credit scene that was going to introduce John Hamm as Mr. Sinister, who was going wow. to be the trilogy's villain, like the tri- mm. the little trilogy's like, Palpatine. you know, Emperor Palpatine or whatever. But that didn't happen. Um, that's what all the setups about Essex in this in this movie were. And yeah, I mean, that's that's it. It came out. Nobody gave a shit. <laughs> you know, it's there's this there's this thing that we we learn about Hollywood again and again. You know, they have they're very the memory is very short term mm-hmm. where it doesn't matter if something made you laugh or excited eight months ago. Does it make you laugh or excited literally right now? Because if it doesn't scrap everything, hire new people, yep. schedule reshoots. Right. And it and the and then the result is they end up just making this, you know, dish yeah. that is falling apart in their hands, and then they're stuck with it, and no one wants to eat it, and they just have to throw it away. Yep, and it's no one's fault but themselves. Yep, yep, it's too bad. So t- twist, I actually enjoyed this movie quite a bit more this time around than I did at the drive-in. Yeah, where I think that was like a fun adventure. Yeah, but, but I think we drove away kind of like a. Well, I, I, I mean that it was fine. Like I remember thinking it was fine, but like watching a movie at a drive-in is not the best experience of watching a movie. It might be the worst experience. In I terms disagree of agree, personally, do I, you? I, what I, I have, I have a lot of affection for the experience, and I have a lot of like, mo- like I saw Fast Five for the first time at a drive-in, and that's like you know, top, like one of my favorite movie going, but I couldn't tell you what the technical specifications were for that experience. Yeah. In terms of like picture and sound. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't like being at a drive-in. I'm distracted (laughs) by everything around me. Um, I, I like, I have trouble focusing. Uh, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not a fan of the, the whole experience. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't have any nostalgia for it. So like the only time that I, I really like going to a drive-in is if it's a movie I've seen before and it's just hmm. like, you know, an we're, we're going to like, drive-in. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So like, I, I really don't like the idea of watching a movie for the first time at a drive-in. And this is definitely not a kind of movie that you want for that. I agree. I think that I watched it again and I was like, well, I see the merit in what this is. I just don't think every, anything was executed at a hundred percent. I think it's all executed at about 70%. And, and I think that that's because it's a softening of what he originally wanted to do. And because he didn't get to do those two weeks of reshoots that were scheduled, not the three months of reshoots necessarily, but just the two months or the two weeks of pickups. Yeah. That was always part of the plan. He never got to do that. And so we have a what is essentially a first cut of the movie you know Mm -hmm. um and that's a bummer it brings to mind what we were talking about uh with preethi on deadpool which is like an idea that hadn't been allowed to blossom to become like what it you know something i forgot to bring up in our deadpool 2 review that i read during research for that movie is ryan reynolds credits fox exec emma watts who 
I brought up during our Days of Future Past episode, she gave that presentation about like, we're good pro filmmakers now, that she played a big part on the studio side of making sure Deadpool was never compromised or futzed with. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like this movie didn't have an Emma Watts or was just a casualty of all of the switching around, like you said. And, you know, it becomes largely a misfire and just feels kind of half-baked. Mm-hmm. But it's weird because in a lot of ways, this is closest to what I want out of an X-Men movie than a lot of the, almost any X-Men movie, you know, like it's focused, it's teen centric. It's very much based on these characters relationships. It's moody. It reminds me a lot of like the covenant or Mm -hmm. like an early two thousands, like CW fantasy vibe. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's the thing is like, I feel like what this movie should be is like an eight episode limited series where you get the first episode and you get the finale right and then the six episodes in between are exploring the history and how they got there of each of the six characters while like flashbacks like lost style like lost or like orange is the new black while also pushing the narrative forward through the season right that's a great idea yeah there's six of them so there you go like six episodes yeah yeah exactly i i feel like that's what this should have been is like mm. you could have spent more time with it another point of reference to just pop into my head because i think the mortal flaw of this movie is it's not scary no none of the scary moments land none zero if the, if this had even been like at a conjuring spinoff level we, we might have been off to the races yeah and so i was thinking about haunting of of, of hill house and bly manor oh true that's How good. That, that's good. Yeah. Because that, that's scary, but also like compelling and you care about the characters. Yeah, that. totally. A character driven horror film, um, which, you know, barely ever exists. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. <laughs> do do we want to do a walkthrough? I mean, yeah, we could do. We could. Because my thing is, I feel like some people listening to this genuinely have not watched this movie and do not plan to because they've heard that it's bad. Um, it's on HBO Max. Yes, it is. It is on HBO Max. It's not good. I read a letterbox review last night. Yeah. That said that if this had come out in like the 2014 Tumblr era, yeah, it would have been like massively popular. Yeah. But yeah, because like, yeah, the the like Danny, Danny Moonstar is like, I think, a solid protagonist. Mm-hmm. I think I Blue Hunt. I hope, I hope this isn't the last time we see her in, in a movie. Yeah, she's very good. The problem is that this movie didn't get any attention and so i'm worried <laughs> that she's basically yeah. having to start over essentially right because if anything it's, it's like oh you're in the new mutants then that could push back like six times yeah right yeah because like okay going back to the tv idea right imagine yeah. this season being the first season of the show right and then the second season being what i was talking about with the alien invasion body horror thing it's like imagine seeing the trailer for New Mutants season two, and it's a completely different it, it, yeah, genre. It's Brazil, it's like you know beaches, it's favelas. Yeah, it's like whoa, a totally different visual style. Right, right. And yeah. then the third one being urban and demonic. Yeah, you know, it's you like, know, how, like I'm picturing. Crazy. You know, like when a when a cool com a, a cool comic book move is when you get like a cover, right? And it's the New Mutants, the team, but they're like all in like swimsuits, or they're at Brazil, they're all at the beach. Yeah. And like Anya Taylor Joy is like on her phone with sunglasses, and then like in New York, they're all like in a subway. Yeah, like this really strong visual. Like you want to you want to see this one because look, they're in a different place. Right. right, right, right. Yeah. So apparently, like that's where they are going at the end of this. 
movie when they're like okay. walking away from the school there he's gonna like use his <laughs> money and resources to take them to brazil that's that's great and that was gonna lead into the second one because uh to get to the very end of the movie literally yeah they're like alice braga told them that the nearest town was 22 miles away and one of them is like let's find out if she was lying and i'm just imagining they're like oh shit we're in brazil <laughs> yeah that that's actually really funny. I like the idea that they're already in Brazil. Hey, it's like five miles away from my house. <laughs> Turns out the uh, the the actual uh, bear you should feed is the rich one. Oh yeah, how how do you feel about this having the same ending as Tomorrowland? I hate it. I mean, I hate that that saying. I really don't like the saying. The wolf. I don't. The two it, wolves. It's kind of- it's kind of a Koekoatsu scenario again, where I I I was like trying to figure out if that is an actual proverb or part of any kind of native yeah. culture or history because like in, in tomorrowland it's two wolves right i don't i don't know which is the for I, original yeah i don't know i don't know and it's and it's exactly the same thing the like which wolf do you feed which bear do you feed mm-hmm. i remember when that happened at the end of the movie and we all lost it in the car because we were like are you kidding me <laughs> yeah because <laughs> uh, yeah. you have to choose you can either be entirely optimistic or entirely cynical yeah. Nothing in between. Right. <laughs> uh, I like Tomorrowland. <laughs> so, yeah, she, Danny sees it. Uh, it uh, yeah, her whole reservation, it gets wiped out by this bear, which is a bummer. Yeah. And, like, it kind of reminds me of, like, in Kong when, like, the at Skull Island, it's like, oh, yeah, and all the natives died. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, hey, okay, geez, Louise. Anyway. But it is, it is. Is that, does that happen in the comic? Is well, that true well the- I mean, I, I think it does. But, like, it's, it's, my, my thought on it is, like, if this is a school for literally new right. mutants very true who yeah. are have, who, who, whose powers are, like, uh, like, a danger to themselves and others. Yeah, that is how you kind of have to start. That's it. very true. Every every one of them, in their own specific personal way, hurt their immediate loved ones. Right. For for Danny, it was her dad, and indeed their entire reservation. Right. For Roberto, it was his girlfriend, but he says like partner. Right. Charlie Heaton has his paw who died down in the coal mine. Yeah. Um, was it just his paw, or was it the whole? The I think whole it was all crew. of the all the coal miners. Yeah, yeah, it was the whole crew. Um, which is why, like, it really fucked the town over because it was like all of our coal miners are dead. No! It's the only thing that we have. Yeah, get that kid out of here. <laughs> oh shucks. <laughs> oh man. Oh man, I roast him up all alive like so, I am. So that was supposed to be uh, Nat Wolf originally. Oh, from Paper. No, yeah, yeah, from Paper Towns and Fultoner Stars. Yeah, yeah, and from Josh Boone's first film. He was the lead in his first film. Is he the hereditary one or the old one? Or is that the same one? I don't know. I can't tell them apart. I I, I genuinely, it's just like Iceman and his brother. I struggle. I really do. I don't, I don't know which I'm looking at. Um, I will say Charlie Heaton, much like in Stranger Things, is just really good at giving that shifty energy of like, he really seems like a kid from like the backwoods or like, but he has like a good heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think he is good. I think his accent is rough, but that's just <laughs> because I've spent a lot of time in Kentucky and I know what that accent's supposed to sound like. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sound I'm, anything like whatever he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I think he's English. He, I, yeah, I think you might be right about that. Yeah. So that's that's rough, but like I think his his take on the character is good. I think it's solid. And uh yeah, we meet uh Anya Taylor Joy. Yes. Of course. 
who was her and uh, Maisie Williams were the first two people cast in the movie. Got it. They were like the two that Josh Boone were like was like gunning for of like, yeah, they we have to get Maisie Williams as Rain. And we have to get Anya Taylor-Joy as yeah, at the, uh, Eliana Rasputin. Because at the time, it was, you know, Game of Thrones and The Witch had just come out. Right. Right. And I will say that I think that Maisie Williams does a really solid job, but I wish... I just kind of wish Rain had more to do in this movie, which seems weird. She has a lot of screen time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She has a lot of screen time, but, like, it's... um. She doesn't have a lot of she doesn't change gears a lot in this movie. No. I feel like all of her scenes it it's in a cool way it has kind of like a YA novel vibe to it where like there, there's this part where they're lying in the grass, Danny yeah. and Rain, and and Danny's like I feel like I made you up. And that line resonated with me because it's like yeah, from her perspective, she just exists to be supportive to Danny and be it's okay, Danny, like I'm your friend and like there's cool parts where like she doesn't want to talk about her W scar on her back. Yeah. Where she's like puts her like, no, no, I'm not ready to but yeah, like I could have done a lot more of going like into the like you said, in a in a miniseries yep. format, getting to see not that I want to see this, but like her life and like the role Catholicism played in her background and what these priests were, you know, what that or what just like the community was like. Yep. Could have done a lot more. Yeah, because yeah. it, it feels like we don't really know her very well beyond her relationship to Danny. No, I don't, th- I don't think so either. Um, and it's, uh, it's upsetting because I think she's a cool character. It's just that there's not a lot, there's just yeah. not enough there. And then and it's, you know, I mean, not to, as much as this is my place to say, I really appreciated how center of whatever center of camera, the romance was Yes, between, between Rain and Danny. And it just really played like any other great YA melodrama romance. Yeah. Yeah. Of, Definitely. I would say the only the only problem is just that like only one of them is like a full character. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. And, um, and even Danny is just really like your standard protagonist in a movie. Mm-hmm. Like That's true. Um I really I don't know. Yeah, I, I just feel like we don't really get into a lot of them, which is weird because we literally go into their minds in this yeah, movie. Yeah. But like we go into their I feel like I know the kids in Dream Warriors more than I know the kids in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Like that's one of my favorite horror movies period just because it yeah it's such a fun ride and yeah without doing half of the work this movie does yeah into like i don't know there's like some cool like group therapy scenes in dream warriors yeah yeah um, there's a lot of cool scenes in dream warriors <laughs> I, I like the rec room scenes in this where they're hanging out but i wish there was more of it and i don't know unlike you know again like the breakfast club i could write a draw you a diagram of how they all feel about each other yeah yeah. In that movie. And I don't feel like you get enough of like ensemble in this. Anya Taylor Joy as Ileana Rasputin, aka mm-hmm. Magic, um, with a K. With a Y uh, and a K. Uh no, no, no Y, just a K. Oh. oh, okay. She looks like she walked directly out of the comics. Oh, yeah. And, and no. exists in reality now. Yeah, she has such this larger than life presence about her that yeah when she she looks like an illustration with like the torn fish net yep. and like the hair yeah anytime she's just like it, yeah with the way like a comic book character is always posing yeah in a cool way like yeah. wesley snipes and blade yeah and yeah and when she gets like the blue eyes and the sword like forget about it yeah 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 and the metal arm but 
I will say that I think that Anya Taylor Joy, I think that she's doing a pretty good job with the accent, and I think that she made some character choices, but like overall, it it feels like she's relying too heavily on like, okay, so this character is gonna suck her front teeth a lot, like that's gonna be like. Like oh, I, okay. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah, so Scott's doing this little like pout, like yeah, very, very similar to Rain. The character and Anya Taylor Joy isn't asked to shift gears a lot. Yeah. So these characters watch Buffy a lot, which I loved. Right. I love that it's multiple. It's different characters watching Buffy at different points in the movie. Right. Implying that there's like a DVD set, and that's like the one show that they have. That's yeah, they show the, the the box sets. Like oh, it's, it's like right next to the TV. Yeah, I love that. And you know, Cordelia is such a great three-dimensional character Mm -hmm. even though you expect her to just be like a mean girl yeah and i don't think there's ever a point in this movie where you see like where it's alluded to like where on where what's what's her name elena uh, iliana iliana where iliana's anger is coming from and why she's built up this armor so to speak but it's never it's always alluded to you never feel like you're getting into the weeds so like when she does shift and is all of a sudden like nicer and not racist to yeah. Danny, then it, do, it does like, well, wait, why is it just time in the movie for them to be friends? It doesn't feel like anything changed. Yeah. Yeah. And the racism is so, it, it, it's so gross mm-hmm. and, and angry. It's like, it doesn't make any sense to me because it's like, where is any of this coming from? You're from Russia. Like, what 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 do you have against Native Americans? Like, oh, that's another thing. Is like, how long has she been in America? How yeah naturalized is she? Because it you know what what it reminded me, what it made me think watching it a second time is for, and I don't even want to say this is just white people, but when it comes to other people's cultures, whether it's like Asian, Mexican, Black, Middle Eastern, most of the time our access point from the outside is pain and is racism. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if that's all that someone knows, then it's like, oh, well, of course you would get called all these names because that's that's what it's like. Right. That just happens every day. And to me, it's like the result of just not having any kind of like people in the room or beta readers or like a a friend that I had read this and was like, hey, we don't need this. And you're like fun escapist like genre movie. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it just to me seems the result of like not having someone in the room. To like, hey, this is like, where is this? Like you said, like, what purpose does this serve? Right. Uh, or it's, it feels like the easiest way to show, oh, well, we need to have Alanya being a dick to Danny. What's the easiest way to do? Oh, well, she's different. What's, let's just have her say a bunch of like hacky, like native jokes. Yeah. And then, and then also have Danny like call out the fact that they're hacky native jokes. So see, that, we called it out. So it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. We see, we put it, we hung a lantern on how much of hacks we are. It's yeah. like, that's not okay. <laughs> and and it, it's kind of going back to your frustrations with like the, the casting, which is like, yeah, like I said, it's been happening since Desperado. It's as old as the industry itself. It's as old as society itself, like light skin bias and stuff. Mm-hmm. But what's so frustrating about this modern age of filmmaking is we live in this world where it's so easy for filmmakers to pay lip service yes. of. Like, I believe that my, like, Snickers movie with a female protagonist is, like, doing the work. And I, I quote something, something strong female character. Right. And it's like, give me a fucking break. It's 2021. Right. 
And it kind of feels like, look, we cast all these, but like you said, Scott, it's like, yeah, but look, you're taking all these half measures still, but still expecting to be trumpeted as a quote, good representation. Right, right. And you're just another Hollywood movie. Right, right. Because like even again, like going back to the LGBTQ of it all, this lesbian relationship at the at the heart of this movie is two very surface level characters <laughs> falling in love and we don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. And like sometimes that feels charming to me in that kind of like yeah, Tumblr yeah. post fanfic kind of way. Sure. Um, but like he's yeah, like you we could we know both of these actors could do so much more. Yeah. And this could have been a much richer movie and maybe even become like a sleeper cult hit of like after the fact I, I i want to recommend this movie to people so bad because i like the vibes and the aesthetic and performances so much but yeah. so much of it doesn't work especially the scares that i i kind of can't be like actually you should watch new mutants that's left on you know? yeah right but i like the vibes like yeah. i like the movie's vibes like i'll be honest when this movie starts and you get the like you know the the uh 20th century studios presents in that font i'm like hell yeah like i just i really i really love that font i Uh, love the the choice of it i don't know like it it gives it a cool vibe i I totally but i will say i had kind of a um a weird you know because we're coming to the end of hot mutant summer yeah seeing 20th century fox dissolve into 20th century studios was a weird like passing of an age moment for Uh me yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm fine with 20th Century Studios just because like I like that it doesn't have Fox in the name anymore. Oh, yeah, I have nothing with the name. It's just yeah. it's just what it means timeline wise. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, like I when when I say this reminds me of stuff like The Covenant or The Vampire Diaries, I say that <laughs> like affectionately. Yeah. And it it's a bummer that yeah, most X-Men movies don't have this many scenes of just teenagers trying to like understand each other. Mhm. And yeah, well, and, and even the um, the scenes that you're talking about, like the the quiet scenes of like them in group therapy and them like talking to each other alone and like, you know, the different sort of pairings. Like there's like a pretty good scene between like Sunspot and Cannonball. A couple. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. They're just like hanging out. Right. Right. And, and which would absolutely be like Tumblr fodder for like, oh, these two these two are in love, too. <laughs> For sure. There would be tons of yeah. Tumblr stuff about that. They'd probably learn how to be feel are. safe again, Sunspot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's there are all of these moments, but mm-hmm. a lot of people call this movie boring. And I think that the reason that it feels that way to a lot of people, and to me to a certain extent, I found myself <laughs> like looking away from the movie during those scenes going in and out attention wise. Yeah. And I think that the reason is, is because I don't care about any of these characters because the movie has given me no reason to care about these characters. I was about to say, yeah, a lot of this feels formless because as the audience, we don't know what we're supposed to, well, what are these characters trying to do? Yeah. Like what's Danny trying to do? One like Shawshank Redemption is three hours long, but I think the reason it doesn't feel like it is because you're always you're always giving yourself like, you know, those characters are always trying to do stuff short term. And it yeah. feels so they're just and aimless. They have it's no aimless. They're they're like the overarching, I guess, like hero's journey want is like, I want to get out of here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like son, uh, uh, Cannonball has this cool moment where he's like, I actually want I actually want the work. I'm trying to get better, but you're not, you know, where he flips out. Yeah. And and it's cool. Like, oh, yeah. How are do some people want to be in here? Right. 
Right. Um, and like, I don't, I, I, I remember thinking like, I don't want everything to be Joss Whedon, Josh Schwartz, Quip Fest, but there's some kind of, there's some, there's some personality missing and energy missing to where like, this doesn't even feel like a cool hangout movie. No. The way that. The scene um, where they all, where they drug the doctor and like use that as like a time to like be teenagers. Yeah, and, like, the hang- Bastards of Young Needle Drop. Right, right. It's lame. Like it's really <laughs> lame. Like it feels like what a bunch of 50 year old studio execs think the teenagers do. You get all of the like requ- prerequisite breakfast club illusions. Right. Where it's like they're dancing together. They're throwing popcorn at they're spinning in a circle in a chair yeah but it doesn't have that spark of like what if they just let the kids like be kids right or you know you watch something like ladybird or i don't know everybody wants some and you yeah. actually have that spark of camaraderie yeah I don't, yeah and and that's the thing too is like i don't think i don't think i need this movie to be fun i actually think the fun parts of this movie are lame um, and I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that they work. And so yeah, I, I lean into it. Yeah, I want the opposite. I want the Mike Flanagan version of this movie, you know, like yeah, yeah. that's, that's what I, of... yeah, that's what I want. Um, is that's, is a, something... that's a really good. Yeah. Go that's ahead. a good reference point because yeah, there are episodes like some of my favorite moments from like the haunting series or like Dr. Sleep. Yeah. It is just characters sitting and talking. Yeah. And they're, like you said, there isn't a humor to it. There's a seriousness, but there is and there i'm engaged right right like as, as engaged as like a one shot of two people staring at each other talking as right. i am like the, the the neck lady right right yeah because because it, it's like the the moments there are moments of levity in his stuff but it all comes out comes naturally out of like what the characters would actually do in that yeah. moment or say it's in not that undercutting moment. anything it's not undercutting anything and i think that's what this movie needed because it feels to me like even the shit where Ilyana is being racist it almost feels like it's playing to the audience somehow like they're like isn't it funny how racist she is like it it has this weird tone to it that Mm. doesn't feel like we should be like whoa what a bitch you know like it doesn't feel that way it feels like we should be like ah that's we got her like that's what it feels like yeah we were all thinking it yeah and it's gross it makes me feel gross and and it isn't funny. Nothing in this movie's funny. Nothing. Mm. Um and, and and the fun stuff, the quote unquote fun stuff is lame and it just doesn't it's nothing. It just becomes like this nothing thing because it's not leaning hard enough into what it should be leaning into, what it wants to be, what it naturally is like trying to be pulled into a horror film, but it's like being blocked from being that, you know? Yeah, and it's I I I felt so bad thinking about who else could have directed this because it, it, this movie came from such a personal place. Yeah, um, especially for like a superhero comic book movie. Yeah, but like yeah, like I was like, oh my god, what if like Lee Janik had directed this from Fear Street? Oh sure, sure. Or or yeah, or or God, like Mike Flanagan. Yeah. Or, you know, if someone, ad- Ugh, I, I don't want to sound like an asshole. Someone like a deft at horror. Yes. Well, well, and jo- Josh Boone has said i am not a horror director like that is not stephen i love stephen king because i love the character work in stephen king stuff he's Mm -hmm. the only horror writer that i enjoy like it's whatever but the thing is 
He did an adaptation of The Stand, which was I didn't watch because no one liked it. And I feel like what he misunderstands is the balance between the two, between the character okay. work and the horror. And it's something that Mike Flanagan understands inherently. So if you're going to do a Stephen King-inspired X-Men movie, it feels to me like Mike Flanagan is the right choice. Whereas, like, Josh Boone, like, I just don't know that there's a version of this movie he could have made. Like, I don't know that he was capable of making the movie that he initially pitched. You know, I think think he had these grand ideas, but it's like, maybe you should have just wrote the movie and then passed it off. You know, mm-hmm. or, or even even Andy Muschietti in that first, especially in that first, it right, it 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 in a really cool kind of like summer popcorn movie way blends the naivety of of it, the kind of sweetness of it, but still creating like a really fun spook a blast movie. Right, right, absolutely. So there's a part where Danny accidentally reads Doctor Reyes's mind, mm-hmm. and we get the footage, the Logan footage from the cell phone of the like the kids being experimented on right that blew my mind i completely missed that the first time i saw this. yeah me too and it was such a cool connection that oh dr reyes was one of the people at that facility yeah and yeah, yeah and I, I appreciated tying essex back into it again that that uh, apocalypse stinger just getting better with age it's interesting because like i don't know if this is supposed again i explained this in the previous episode i didn't explain it earlier but like this Essex school, this was supposed to be the school that was in Deadpool 2. Right. And it was supposed to be come out before Deadpool 2 and introduce the school. And then we would see the school in modern time because, again, this was the three years post-apocalypse version of the movie. And then, and then it was going to turn into the school that we eventually see in, in Deadpool 2. But then, you know, like everything in the X-Men universe, they're like, I know that this was already in a thing. We're just going to pretend that it wasn't like Sunspot. Sorry. Yeah. We know Sunspot was technically in Days of Future Past, but let's pretend that he wasn't. Do you you remember? Do you really remember? (laughs) But the the whole Essex of it all, this whole Essex Corporation thing, all of that was like, again, it was linked to Logan. It was linked to Deadpool and it was linked here and it was all going to culminate in John Hamm's reveal as Mr. Sinister. He was in talks. He was never officially signed to play the role, but that was something that they were apparently going to shoot in reshoots. It was going to have two post-credit scenes. It was going to have a scene with introducing Antonio Banderas as Sunspot's dad, the richest man in Brazil. And then it was going to introduce John Hamm as Mr. Sinister in the final post-credit scene. Here's my thing. Yeah. I'm not I have I am not interested in John Hamm in a suit like you know turning a chair and being like let's just say I'm Mr. Sinister. Yeah. I want him to look ex- ex- exactly like animated series Mr. Sinister mm-hmm. Sinister or get, get get the fuck out of my house. With honestly. like the peacock feather like Absolutely. The peacock feather uh yeah. collar and everything. With the, yeah. the jewel in the forehead yeah. and like the lipstick like yeah, go big or go home. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Same with Antonio Banderas. I, you know, the first thing that popped into my head is, you know, how like sometimes when you're watching, I want the lipstick. I want the stone. (laughs) It's me, the richest man in Brazil. (laughs) Yeah, it's a, it's a bummer. It's there's there's just enough kind of cool, worthwhile, interesting stuff in this to make you pine for like the missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Let's see. Other things that annoyed me. 
the fact that Cannonball can hurt himself, oh. that's not a thing in the comics. Like, he's invulnerable when he's in that state. Uh, when he's in his cannonball state, he's completely invulnerable. So the idea of run. him getting a broken arm or 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 punching himself in the face and getting a swollen eye, that's not a thing. He can't do that. I, I was a big fan of him just watching him thrash about on a leash outside. Yeah, that was cool. I just didn't like that it bro- broke his ribs and yeah. stuff. It'd be really cool, though, if Wally was in cannonball mode, you could still see his little cap. <laughs> yeah. What'd you think of the what would you think of the, the Mr. Scary face? The uh, the people with the smiling masks. I think he I think they look too much like the gentleman, which is yeah, why they're watching yeah. that episode of Buffy. And it's like it's like, OK, if you're going to make them look that much like the gentleman, maybe you don't like literally oh, yeah. play the episode in which they're featured. So we yeah, know where nice. you're ripping this off from. Mm-hmm. Make us earn it. Make us think about it for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like those kind of characters because even in it. Like the the CG creatures are rarely scary for me. Yeah, yeah. When it's like a, a CG scary looking thing. Uh, speaking of, what did you, what 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 do you think of the demon bear? Um, demon bear is cool. I don't understand Lockheed. <laughs> yeah, I, like <laughs> I think geez, the yeah. I think the whole Lockheed thing is interesting in this movie. the The idea of her having like a puppet Lockheed. And talking to it is really stupid, and I don't like it. And then to have real Lockheed just like randomly show up, I guess because he's in that limbo area that she she travels through. I was trying to track that. Like, is that what she always sees, or is this real Lockheed just living in limbo? Uh, yeah, because, it's yeah. unclear. It is unclear because if that's what she always sees. Then is it real? Yeah, like if 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 Sunspot or Rain were to like look over some rubble and see, would it still be her holding up the puppet? Right, right. Yeah, I don't get it. So Lockheed was was Magic's originally, and then like to Kitty Pride, like adopt Lockheed. Or what I'll happened? be honest, the late eighties era of X Men is the thing that I'm least familiar with. So okay. I don't know. I've never read like any of early Magic stuff, so I don't okay. know if she. If that's how that works. And I don't know. I fully, I, I fully associate Lockheed with me Katie too. Red. I do okay. too. Um, but I think that that's because I think we both started reading X-Men with like astonishing X-Men and for sure. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's where that comes from, but I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure, but I will say reading all of the development of this movie makes uh, me really pumped to go and read that entire new mutants run and like, Hey, that's cool. Learn about, this whole era a little bit more because it it really just feels like you know chris claremont who's been writing this since like the early 80s gets to a point where he's just like i am i am tired of the brotherhood and the yeah. same old same old i'm gonna start getting weird and then like introduced all of these like weird ideas like new mutants and, and mr yeah. sinister and apocalypse and all of that and i want to i want to read up on all of that and that's another really sad. It's a, this could have been like a real birds of prey like boost of adrenaline. Yes, into this franchise, and they they really wanted it to. They they wanted this to continue and take the mantle of right. the X Men series, and all the ingredients were there. I think it just was again like a, a casualty of studio negligence. Yep. And lack of foresight. Well, or it's, patience. it's a thing where it's like, you know, de- development executives, studio execs are not producers like they are. They are credited as producers, as executive producers, but they are not the people who are developing it from the ground up. Right. 
that is Laura Schumer Donner and 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 a few a few other like more hands on producers. Yeah. Because, Simon Kinberg. Well, yeah, Simon Kinberg had to take a step back because all the shit he was dealing with on we'll, a movie we'll talk about week. next week. Yeah. <laughs> but they're not even hands on with this movie. They have no stake in it other than being terrified of losing the studio money. A studio that like it doesn't matter if it even loses money because they're going to sell it anyway. So like. Honestly, I feel like looking back at all of this and looking back at this, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more next week with Dark Phoenix, but like it really does kind of feel like Fox's time had come. Right. It was like they didn't know that like no one running running that studio knew what they were doing anymore. And yeah. no, it, no one seemed to care. And you it, know, just like ugh. to 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 go to kind of go slightly preview, I guess what what we'll be talking about next week in Dark Phoenix, in a world where the merger hadn't have happened. Yeah, there was speculation slash maybe even desire on the inside for Fox to broker a similar deal that Sony had worked out with Marvel. Yeah, of like you said, Scott, of like I don't think we know how what to do with this anymore. Yeah. Which is crazy because like you're running you're you're riding off of this one two three high of of Deadpool Logan and Deadpool two. There's no reason New Mutants could have been an equally like you know blast of fresh air. It, it, it's unfortunate. Like we are we are talking about this movie in terms of it you know being the penultimate film because I think it makes the most sense to talk about it there. But in reality, this is it. This is the end of the X Men series at Fox. Mm-hmm. This whole X Men saga ends with this movie and there's something there part there are aspects about even that statement that i appreciate that for all of the bluster and apocalypses and visual effects the final x-men movie is a group of outcast teenagers banding together to save themselves from an outside world that doesn't care about their well-being yeah there's something kind of poetic about that i i guess i would recommend this movie if anything that we're saying about the vibe sounds attractive to you this could be like a fun thing to put on while you're like putting out Halloween decorations in a few weeks. Yeah. You know, if you're an Annie Taylor Joy completist or a Maisie Williams completist. Although it's not either of their best work. No, no, for sure. I don't know. It's not like unwatchable. And like I said, I do really like the vibes that the movie has. But yeah. it it just leaves me in this place of just like, God, what a missed opportunity this movie was. Yeah, for sure. If if we're ranking, if we're doing one of those like charts, like ranking, whatever, of I wouldn't put this in the same bracket as like you're just dumpster fired, last stand, right? X Men Wolver- Origins Wolverine. Yeah, but yeah, <clears throat> it, it's hard not to just judge this ultimately by what it could have been and what it isn't quite doing. Yeah, I would say it's like bottom of the middle. There you go. Yeah, bottom of the middle. Yeah, really too bad because I I I think it really had the potential to be something great. And and it's I was not I was rooting I was rooting for this movie up until we like drove up to the screen where because this is so my vibe as we've been talking about yeah. that I was like oh, I just want this to be really good even if I'm the only one that likes it yeah all right well I guess I guess that's it I mean I I can't really think of the thing about it is like it's such a closed door movie that you know doing a walkthrough of it just doesn't feel like no I feel like we've covered pretty much everything yeah um, i mean i guess like, we should let's talk about the doctor's turn maybe yeah so yeah we find out that alice braga's character who had been working for the the lab in mexico that had been making uh richter and i was gonna try to do the whole list from memory uh uh uh, uh x23's friends yeah the um, x23 gang the x23 gang 
(laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I don't know. But she was like a scientist. She was like in charge of stuff, kind of working directly under um, old Loki. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, but then we find out that she's still working for Essex and has been. But this is this is also a retcon of Logan because Logan. Or 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 was that part of Essex? Because in Logan, that is not part of Essex. Remember, it's another company. Because I yeah. talked about everyone thinking that uh, old Loki, my dude, old Loki was gonna was was gonna play Mister Sinister, and everyone was pumped about it because of that post credit scene. And then you yeah. watch the movie, and it's like, oh, he, not only is he not playing Mister Sinister, but this isn't even Essex Corp. Yeah, it was another word. Yeah, like trisigen or trigen. Yeah, something like that. Tri trigen sounds about right. So this either takes place before trigen when it was still Essex, right? In which in which case the cell phone memories are weird because they literally just use the footage from Logan, or this takes place during Logan in the not too distant future, like twenty twenty nine. Which is really interesting. The idea that we went from the eighties to like. 2029 like like almost the post-apocalypse that's and they said that there's been no mutants born in 25 years how old are these kids (laughs) yeah it and like and oh no none of this makes any sense nick (laughs) and 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 then yeah because there's fully a scene where they're like well because uh alice braga keeps talking about like the man i work for or my benefactor yeah and and you're you're made to think that it's charles xavier yeah the kids are even like well we all know we're we're just being like recruited into the x-men after this we're just being groomed to be in the x-men like i don't i think the x-men are lame i think the x-men are really cool so like they're a they're a thing yeah so they're a thing so this can't be after logan yeah, because they're like established with Xavier. You're imagining like the classic X Men team, right? That is existing in Dark Phoenix, but but that takes place during the '90s. What the hell is going on? Wow, for like a hot a hot second, I thought that it was starting to fit. No, no. All right. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is the moment where this uh this 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 <laughs> mini series finally broke us. This is it. It's like when you look you look at it like you realize that like the first thing was wrong and you have to like take it all apart. Yeah. Oh um, no. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna get we're getting weird with it now. Yeah. Um we'll 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 get into dark I mean Dark Phoenix a lot less weird than this. Never seen um, it. We're gonna watch it for the first time tonight. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, it'll be, it'll I, be the first movie of this whole series that I have not seen. It might be, I'll be honest, it might be the only superhero movie I've never seen. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I can't think of another one that has I haven't seen. I don't. I think this is it. I think this is the only one. Wow. You're going to get it like an achievement unlocked. This is so weird. Um, I, will, I will tease, because I, I think I've gathered all the research that I need, and now it's just about like, you know, just remembering it. <laughs> it's not the story I thought it was going to be. Right. The, the, the you know, kind of the behind the scenes. Stuff. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, it's bittersweet. Okay. K- kind of the way that this is where it's yeah. like, man, you, you really want this era to end on a bang, but the, the, the fates had other plans. Yeah. I mean, despite everything, I'm looking forward to it because like even X-Men apocalypse has its moments of like, yeah. I was, I'm like, oh, I like these actors. I like the way that they talk to each other. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. I, yeah. I think Dark Phoenix has moments like that as well. Okay, that's good. There's there's a couple of like, ooh, that's the X-Men. 
Mm-hmm. Like, that's the good stuff. Like, like, when they're all fighting the bear in the church, I wrote in my notes, New Mutants United. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. To see them being, like, a, a unit for, like, three minutes. Yeah. I guess it just sucks that, like, we're <laughs> we're probably never going to get... It's gonna, it would be so convoluted to get, like, magic back or to get any of these characters back in any way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we've probably lost Anya Taylor-Joy from the Marvel Universe entirely. Right. Yeah. You know? I mean, we might yeah. get her for something for DC, but like, I, I doubt Marvel Studios will want to. I, maybe they would. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they would. I, I can't. I guess it depends on what of, it is. Yeah. I'm not a big enough Marvel or X Men person to. I don't know who else she would. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> the New Mutants. I would be interested to hear. I mean, you know, maybe some of our listeners will watch it for the first time for our show. Yeah. And I'd be really interested to hear what, what works and what doesn't work for you yeah. over on the Discord. Mm-hmm. do it go to the discord there's a link in the show notes to this join our discord talk yeah. to us there um you know if you mention that you're 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 dropping a comment that you want us to read on the uh on on our in between episode we will assuming we we get the comment in time uh mm-hmm. before recording it but uh yeah so that's uh there there's a there's a link in the show notes do that patreon duelinggenre.com slash support guys I can't emphasize enough how much becoming a Patreon supporter helps this show keep going. This show is really time consuming with the research and things. If you knew you're getting these once a week, um, Nick and I record these twice a week because we alternate and it's so it's like a lot of work. It's just it's a lot of work. And, you know, becoming a Patreon supporter is a huge way of you telling us that you love the show and want it to keep going. For $5 a month, you get three bonus podcasts a week. That's a lot. That's so much more than most Patreon podcast Patreons. Uh, I've been hosting Dueling Genre tonight every week for about a month now. Yeah. By the time you're by the time they're hearing this, it's been like two months. Um, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So uh, Dueling Genre tonight where, where Nick... Um, and a revolving panel of uh, dueling genre podcast hosts all get together and talk about the week's entertainment news. Uh, sometimes I'm on uh, to talk about like uh, the Green Knight for probably longer than we should have, but it was fun. Yeah, that was a fun discussion. Yeah. So, you know, uh, there's lots of stuff on on the Patreon. It helps a lot, a lot. And, and when the in-between episode, uh, the week after next airs on the main feed, our episode covering 2003's Daredevil, starring Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner, uh, and uh, John- Johnny Favs, Coolio. That is going to be airing on the Patreon. It is our Patreon-exclusive show called Franchise Potential, about films that were trying to be franchises and failed for one reason or another, either for external reasons or for uh, reasons uh, of quality, um, qualitative sure. reasons. Uh, or for but, Daredevil, both. Yes, indeed. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that um, over on the Patreon in a couple of weeks. So become a, a Patreon supporter. Um, we've already got the su- the the Super Mario Brothers episode up. Um, we did a franchise potential about 1993 Super Mario Brothers. One of the craziest stories you've ever told me. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. Um, it's 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 nuts. It's honestly, I think it's one of our best episodes, and it's on the Patreon. So check uh, it out. Check it out. And, uh, and, and yeah, that's, uh, that's it. Follow us on Twitter, all that stuff. Franchiseography at duelinggenre.com. If email is your thing and we'll talk to you guys next week where we wrap up the X-Men hot mutant summer. We wrap up hot mutant summer with dark Phoenix. Check it out. 
Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Gay rights. Gay rights.